Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of September 2019. I've mentioned a few times that I gave a talk in 2001, right after 9-11 happened, where I mentioned that the hardest thing you'd ever have from now on as an individual would be to hang on to your sanity. And I said it not because of some premonition from a crystal ball, but simply because I'd, I'd, I'd watched the decades previously and all the different agendas that were being set up for a future by those who rule the world. And the world is definitely ruled. Very well, in fact, insofar as most of the public don't know they're being ruled. They really think that politics is real. And they do think that things just happen spontaneously, like 9-11 itself. But we've seen it all happen, of course, with the big agenda for depopulation. It's an old one, a very old one. And it used to be widely talked about in books by people in big institutions, big think tanks and big societies where they had private membership only. And so on. But they published books for themselves and often watered-down versions for the public, very censored versions. So it wasn't hard to find out where they were supposed to go with it all. And they had world meetings, uh, frequent ones, and they'd still have to deal with the population and the problem of population and all that's out of hand, etc. And they were, they were having those meetings going back to the early 1900s in Britain, for instance. The problem they always had was how to get the public to go along with things. So you tell them lies and treat them like children and make them think they're coming to their own conclusions as you feed them uh, data put together by behaviorists at the time. Now it's much more perfect with all the specialities involved in neuroscience working with language, because language will bring you to the conclusions that they desire you to have. Your masters, that is. A very simple, straightforward way to do it, explained today, very, very simple because they have all the powers and technology to do it. In 2001, I knew literally that everything that was normal would be turned upside down, literally upside down to the opposites. That was the agenda. And you must remember, too, that when the older Bush was in power, and the younger Bush, of course, was in power in 2001, but the older Bush, when he was in power, he gave his speech, this strange speech to the, uh, on television to the, to the world, really, about a new world order coming into view. And it was so obscure in a sense to the general public. It was meant to be obscure because it wasn't meant that they really understood it all or much of it at all, in fact. And as it goes to, the public wait to be told what it means. If they're not told what it means, they just forget it, they dismiss it. And the media too didn't ask because the, the ones in the higher media are generally counseling foreign relations and they all knew what it meant. But uh, this, this new world order certainly was to come into view. And then, of course, exactly 10 years later to the speech, his son is giving the same speech, basically. And, and also mentioning the, the, the new world order and also mentioning a new freedom, the new freedom, it was called. That term has been used before in American history, but this is the new freedom. And with the 9-11 happening, of course, they meant that you'd have a new version, you'd have freedom, but a much more censored and policed version of freedom. And of course, they knew that eventually you would, even your thoughts would be policed. You'd be allowed to think of anything you want, except for this, 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 and this, a whole list of things you couldn't think about anymore, because you might get the wrong idea, because it's maybe true. <laughs> And therefore, you've got all these techniques to ban you from thinking about things. And you're self-police, as the United Nations talked about. For a global society, they would, they would train the public to self-police their thoughts. And it had already been done in different ways before that, naturally, in previous societies and cultures. And there's nothing new, really. It's just the techniques are more profound today, more in-depth, because of the money behind the specialists involved in managing it all and the technology to put it across to the public, and, and to spy on them too, naturally. And, of course, that's the, the new freedom is. It's a new freedom where you have certain, you, you get certain, it's not really freedoms. What they didn't want to tell American people was that y your life would be full of privileges, not really freedoms. 
Everything you were granted to do would be a privilege granted by the authorities. That's the same thing as, of course, in the socialistic societies. And uh, that's why, of course, the Club of Rome and all the other organizations that run the world wanted this technique of, of the front of socialism to manage things, because socialism really is intolerant. It'll have its own way or no way at all. That's what it's about. We can see it from the history of the past in previous countries. And it's, it's very, it can get the job done, certainly, to an extent, if, if they had no corruption at the top. But socialism is always incredibly full of corruption attracts the worst people. I think politics attracts the worst people, actually, personally, I really do, uh, across the board uh, of all kinds, because the psychopaths tend to gravitate towards power, and they like applause. You, you'll seldom find a, a truly introverted psychopath. Most of them enjoy uh, that type of psychopath. They love uh, the, the applause, and to sign autographs, and to have uh, cameras filming them, and so on. So they, they gravitate towards power, and so they get all the applause they want, and they can really fill their pockets. Because if you notice all prime ministers and presidents going in to, to the power on very little salaries and very little money, and they come out all multimillionaires, at the very least. And if you're like Bill Clinton, you, you can be a millionaire overnight. Multi already he was, I'm sure, but just by a book that's written for you, ghostwritten in advance, and uh, you're given the money for that. Uh, it's just ins- uh, we, we see it all the time. Come on, we see it. But 9-11, that, that just passed, as I say, uh, with no fanfare, really. And it's intentional to be no fanfare because they don't want another crop of people growing up that ask questions about it because it's so full of holes. I won't even bother going into the holes. I don't have to convince myself or others about that. I, I don't evangelize to people to make them believe what I know. I know what I know because I've studied so much about it over the years, and at the time when 9-11 happened too, uh, that, that there's no doubt whatsoever that it was a necessity, uh, absolute necessity, of course. It's interesting to see the same group of people talking in the 1990s, the PNAC group, uh, with John Bolton in it, of course, who was the head of it at one point for the war in Iraq, the first war in Iraq. But he was in that group, and he was uh, one of the heads of the, uh, the, the PNAC group at the time, with a whole list of countries they wanted to take out. Never hasn't changed yet. And, and then we see him, <laughs> supposedly, as we're told by the media, we don't know if it's true or not, uh, leaving in a huff from, the, from his position in Trump's I was going to say cabinet there, but really it's just, well, I guess it's still a cabinet. It's the same across the whole world, really. They left because they couldn't get the war going against Iran fast enough, suppose. That's what we're told. But he's probably working in the background feverishly now, get more done than, than what he was when he was in a position where he had to meet people all the time. The PNAC group have never failed. They always get what they want. And, and of course, George Bush Jr. was a member of it, too. And uh, there's no secret as to who all the other members were. To real, they called them the War Hawks uh, because they had all these different wars they wanted done. We see it too with General Clark, who talked on Democracy Now about uh, the list that they were to take out, and he he was surprised. He didn't, he didn't know all the other countries that had been pre-planned to take out, and of course, it's, it's caused a stink ever since. It's still on, on the go, as we know, and people want. In the U.S., a lot of people want American troops to come back home and keep out of all these um, foreign wars, you might say. But it won't happen, because I really think countries are totally dominated by a system they don't even know exists, most of them. And the, and the people do fall in uh, to, to accepting, eventually, what the media tells them. I listened to a young, well, a guy in his 30s, about 34 or so, who, who mentioned that he was just a child when 9-11 happened. He was all for it, and he still is all for what happened, and to total revenge and retaliation for whoever was responsible, etc., etc. And I thought, well, I, and I said at the time when 9-11 happened, um, I said it would happen this, this very way, that youngsters would grow up not knowing that the system they're growing up in is not the America that pre-existed 9-11, 
so many of your rights have been stripped away and rights of privacy completely gone and you're spied upon constantly and you accept it all and you think it's all quite normal. Well, this guy was one of them and he really was still all gung-ho for it. He said, yeah, well, you know, and we've got to get these enemies and uh, completely out of it. But I knew that would happen with so many of them and uh, that's why these ceremonies now they have for 9-11 when it comes around every year are getting uh, quieter and quieter. They don't want the public asking questions. They, they're so sick of the questions that happened the first time. <laughs> they went on for a long, long time because so much was exposed that made no sense at all according to the story that you were getting. But that's how the whole system is today. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that that was the change. It was a whole new system. It was a way of looking at life itself. Planned long ago, and I've talked about it before too, but it planned long ago where they would train the public, actually train you in a, in a they call it postmodernistic society. There's no such thing as objective truth anymore. It's all subjective according to, the, to those in academia. They get big, big salaries for sitting guessing at things and getting them published, all their guesses. But their guesses are always along the, the path of a system they want to influence or even rule over, in fact. Because behind a lot of them in academia today, that really is what they desire to do, is to, to, to be the movers and shakers in society and the future and culture and everything else. They're not content with what they're supposedly there for us to teach children or youngsters how to think and reason for themselves. That's the last thing they want, in fact. But what they're trained people to do, and have been for a long time, is that the new system is a system it's beyond religion as such. They give a, they give certain, some religions are given a wide berth, believe you me. But most of the old religions that were part of America have been so defamed uh, by scandals and so on. And by the behavior of a lot of their, their leaders, it's a very unique, even the Christianity in, in America was very uniquely uh, American, although I don't think it's really American. I think it was taken over a long time ago. It's more like show business, so much of it, unfortunately, because, of course, it got so far off the whole purpose and path of what Christianity was because of the commercial success of America, in a sense, but also because of the influence of, of outside forces as well that came in. Christianity could never exist alongside a postmodern society where you have experts running the show, experts that now decide what the value of life is, uh, what the cost of every... Well, the, the cat... We're in a, at the most, you're in the most class-conscious society ever, and you don't realize it. Because you've, we've all been... And this is, this is worldwide pretty well. All the countries belong to the United Nations. We've all been pretty well categorized into segments of classes. We've all been classified into segments of income brackets and segments of value to society, which isn't decided by you naturally, and so on and so on. And, and the public are being trained to accept it. Step by step, everything I talked about back in the 90s is, is happening, and, and a lot of it happened already. It's inevitable it's going to happen because there's nothing to stand up against it. As I say, the old Christianity, for instance, uh, ended up being a TV evangelism kind of thing that just put people off, naturally. It was too much show business. And they actually had massive Hollywood-type lighting and entertainment specialists there to manage their big productions for television. It, it, it turned folk totally off. So a lot of it's been defeated. It doesn't mean that the thing's been defeated altogether. There's still people who really believe without being a nuisance to themselves. The intelligent ones know that you're not living in an age where you can, you can just give your opinions unless asked by people who, who really need your opinion. And they're asked, demanding it. They need it, you see. Otherwise, you'd be rather dangerous. But that's the society we're living in today. So now you have specialists in white coats, like I mentioned back in the 90s, all running this show. And if they don't have white coats on, then they have business suits, you see, and they get lots of publicity. Because everything in society today is run by experts, expert panels and think tanks and organizations and professionals, and they're front men and women out there for every, every facet of society. And I really mean that. 
It isn't just entertainment. And with a plenty of I've, I've given the talks in entertainment. The whole business is a massive business. It's show business. And what you get from show business is, is anything but a truth. It's a show. It's, it's fiction. And a lot of the bands and groups I've mentioned in talks years and years ago were picked up and uh, out of lineups, put together as bands and groups, and their, their songs are given there, and they're, 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 they all sign agreements not to talk about it and pretend that they're really genuine and they came out of a garage somewhere in a backyard, uh, and that kind of thing. And and, the, and they see the publicity that's behind it, like the Beatles. Massive, massive publicity. That cost millions of pounds back then, in those days. And a professional, worldwide organization to pick it up and, and push it everywhere. Never mind to, to train them and, and, and the publicity and the PR reports, etc. all made up. And that's how things have been ever since, but not just in the music. And I've given talks to how the same organizations, the, the star-making machinery, pick up scientists and do the same. The same guys who gave you Carl Sagan and so on. Which, uh, they give you a lot of entertainment along with it, but it's, remember, a poison of any kind. For, 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 for rats, for instance, can only have a tiny percent of the actual poison. The rest of it, it mixed in amongst uh, the corn that it's mixed with, you see. And that's how you watch movies, too. You watch the movies or, or you or the, or the inter- listen to these characters that are put out there as specialists. And you say, well, that makes sense. And it's very enthralling because it's, it's written by professionals for them, you say. They're all actors, a lot, most of them, anyway. <laughs> and uh, very entertaining. But it's a little bit, little 5% you swallow that, that alters your behavior, makes you own. And it, it's almost like a poison you've swallowed that you'll regret it later. It might make you behave in a certain way or go into things you shouldn't even be into, you see. That's how perfectly we're, we're run today. I've mentioned it so many times. And it's not fiction. I could turn a lot of stuff on this if I wanted to. But uh, I've always maintained that I came out to get through to the certain people. There are certain people across the planet in every generation that uh, you can get through to in a, in a more precise way. There are many more, as they say, they're bitching ears. In other words, they want you tell me all the, oh, tell me stuff that fascinates me, you see. And they go for that all the time. But you'll find that many of the people that you're given to follow, I've said before, Pied Pipers. They're all paid Pied Pipers. But the, as I say, you, you, um, for everything that you might be into or it fascinates you, they've got leaders there for you. I used to say a long time ago, even before 9-11, that it's like, getting, it's like waking up uh, in a, a big culvert, coming out of a culvert in the ground when you're waking up, where you've been asleep thinking you've been awake, <laughs> and you come into a field, you get out the pipe, a big spike pipe, and you get into a field, and, and you try and get, there's little, there's like landmines going off everywhere, and across the field is a forest that you want to, you just know you're going to be safe in the forest, but to get there, you must get through this, this all these mines going off, and a minefield, and everywhere you'll, you'll see signs, here, this is the truth, come here, you and you've you got an awful, awful problem if you get distracted by all the ones that shout, come here. Because, believe you me, like not, there's nothing in this world that's left to chance in this system of control. There's not, it's not left to chance. There's teams of folk get, get trained all the time for special things that are going to be popular uh, uh, very shortly. They're always doing that. They turn them loose on you. And they'll do the rounds, and they'll, you know, they'll be in the newspapers, and, and they'll get pop star type recognition for whatever view they're pushing. And it's only a few thinkers here and there uh, that can sit back and not get caught up in it and say, well, where do these folk come from? Why are they getting this massive publicity and so on? If you're getting big publicity, you're part of the establishment, and they want it out there. That's why it's there, even if they're hammering you. <laughs> so you have to be awfully careful, as I've said before, of what things are about. The media also has changed since 9-11 too. As I say, things would never be the same. That was announced at the time by one of the congressmen, in fact, who was also in the Council of Foreign Relations at 9-11 when that happened. And he said, all that time ago, he said that things would never be the same because that was the agenda. It wasn't just to do with, with anti-terrorism. Anti-terrorism was going to be the excuse to take everybody's rights away. 
to monitor everybody's behavior daily and electronically in a system that we're going to make mandatory eventually, which is the internet completely. It's all and ubiquitous items, as you call them, the nomadic items of, of movement and chatting and all the rest of it. It's all been done. They knew they'd bring it in, you see. And it doesn't matter what happens. Nothing was going to stop this. Worldwide. Isn't that amazing? Worldwide. And the term democracy still gets floated around. So we've got rights and stuff, but you don't have rights because enough folk protested at the time when they were passing omnibus bills about uh, crime and, and, um, and terrorism and so on. And they're completely discarded, completely. This was written in stone, what was going to happen. And, and here we are today. And as I said in 9-11 too, I said most folk will simply accept it and adapt to it over time. Because you have too many worries, worrying and scurrying, trying to get money for rent or mortgages or whatever else happens to be, or health care, you name it. And that's where people's minds are. If, if they're not worrying all the time, then they're escaping. And their escape mechanism is massive entertainment like never before, churned out like a conveyor belt. The very thing that George Orwell kind of warned about in his day in Orwell's 1984, the state had a whole department that churned out pornographic novels, possibly even created by machines and authorship, that is. And, of course, even music that was churned out and created, including the words and the, the melodies and so on, all created by machines, artificial intelligence. He knew that sex always is used as a, a form of control, massive control. And they had a department for pornography, just churning it out all the time, and lots of fiction. But, of course, it's going to went into the television, and then it went to the movie theatres and so on. And now it's, it's literally, it, it t- fingertips to their cell phones now, uh, and their tablets. You can, you can, they can watch anything 24 hours a day if they want to, just churned out endlessly because it's a, a tremendous tool for stopping you from thinking and the more pressure they can put on society as they destroy the old to bring in the new, all the old systems, all the old values. And you got to remember too, in the old values you had, you had old purpose as well, you had purposed. Uh, then they, have, uh, they, they brought in teams and teams of their behavior experts to, to, to decide how could they move us through a time of incredible despondency is to reshape the world, is to reshape your, your whole reason for being, and reshape man and woman, in fact, and marriage, and children, and the value of life, except, including your own. Until now, they have questionnaires with people where they, they, they put out these, these, I think they're probably fake polls, actually, because remember, polls initially were put out there to alter people's opinion, knowing that most folk will go along with majority opinion. That, that's the, it's so simple, but it works awfully effectively. They train the people that, uh, through, again, through situation ethics, well, if you were so sick and so on, wouldn't you rather have suicide, blah, blah, blah? And most folk, oh, well, yeah, that would be awful to go. But wait a minute here. The purpose of society is to reshape your value system and reshape the value of you personally. Is how much they only spend on you if you they have to keep you alive. Like there was never a question, never a question before nine eleven in Britain and elsewhere about keeping folk alive. It was taken as a granted you keep folk alive. If they came to hospital, you would you would take care of them. That was it. But over the time they've gone another way and they've trained the public step by step that you you have a value and you have a cost a cost to society. I gave these talks years ago from their different uh, organizations and universities in different countries. And again, the, the front spokesmen that they have, these actors, they come out there with their, suddenly their big names out of nowhere. These professors about their, their amazing ideas. Well, you have to understand, you know, you, you, you can cost money to the public. Well, you can save a lot of money from the public by stop paying these actors so much money for sitting on their duffs, dreaming up this, this uh, agenda or even spouting off the agenda, because they didn't dream up themselves. It's now time to go the next step and the next step. And believe you me, they have lists of stuff and dates of when they'll introduce the next step and the next step, and all these other topics too, you see. As they train you into a new system, like eating bugs, for instance, rather than meat. Because, you see, they never change the agenda. There's too many of you. You're the problem. That's the whole point of global warming nonsense, It's you're the problem. 
if there was less of you, then less resources would get taken up, less energy would get used, and you wouldn't get all these problems. That's that's the that's you train the victim. Isn't that wonderful? I even mentioned that back in the nineties. How they train the victims always. Which is you, because they abuse you with their psychological uh, psychological assault on your mind from childhood onwards to to be the to be a, a victim because they train you to be a victim, and then they approach you and you run to them. The abused always runs to the abuser for, to protect them, and it's, so it gives more power to government agencies themselves and the government itself. Today, you see the new socialism which the early and elite want. It's easier to rule by a socialism elite or a socialistic elites. Call it what you want. It's the same system. It doesn't matter if it's a right-wing pretending you're running it or left-wing. That's all bogus now. It's obsolete, those terms. Because Thatcher even admired the, the systems of having an unrestrained system of being able, if you, had, if you had a system where you could just authorize using authority for folk to obey, I mean, the West looked at the, the, at the, the Soviet Union, for instance, at times, the, the leaders in the West, and those who were, were ruling the West, not, not, the ones who were not elected rule the country. They, they truly rule it, and they know it too. They looked at these countries, uh, with China, emerging China, getting things done in the Soviet Union, they just told the folk this, or that, and that was it, done. You know, it'd be through every school the next day, what they were to do, and blah, blah, blah. And there was no, wait a minute here, we've got rights. There was none of that. They would say nonsense, you see. And Maggie Thatcher said herself that when she retired, she now belonged to the, the organization. She's told me wrong, she for international affairs. And the, the other the, the circles that are attached to them, there's very secretive circles around the world, and the trilaterals too is a part of it too. Where the and she said that she says I now belong. I can get things done without having to be responsible to the public for my actions. Meaning that there's already a agenda set up quietly, and they don't bring this to the public attention. They they get it done because she she knew the other prime ministers and ex prime ministers and presidents of countries and high bureaucrats. And she says, we have a big organization. We get things done across the world quickly. There's no debate, you see. There's no responsibility to the public and waiting to see what the public, or pretend to wait to see what the public think about it. So you understand, we're living in a system vastly, vastly different. And as I've said before, I, <laughs> I can't remember the shows I was on years ago, and some of the ones are the biggest ones and I knew then, too, what they really were. But as I say, you walk between the raindrops, don't you? And the guy said to me, he says, you know, you're, you're, you're despondent, Alan. You know, you're just not happy, happy, huh? And I says, no, I, says, I just don't get over-enthusiastic about things. Especially when you know the real organizations and multi-layered organizations and professionals working uh, for every day of your life pretty well to introduce different uh, parts of the thing. And of course, if you're ignorant of it, you, you would probably see someone who didn't just jump through, uh, enthusiastically through hoops to clap, etc. Oh, we're winning. Who's we, number one? Who's we? And believe you me, you better find out who the we's are. Because I say you're given your leaders. You are given your leaders. Back in the 90s, what was left of the free world? What was left of it? Now, what I'm talking about is, is the actual people themselves. Not the governments, but the people. Still looked towards the states. A lot of things in the U.S., uh, never mind all about the terrible things you hear about the U.S., this and the U.S., that, but a lot of the ordinary folk in the U.S., especially rural areas and in other different states in the U.S., outside the big city and networks, they still lived uh, knowing their right. They knew their rights. They really knew their rights. And they did have organizations that would stand up and, and really stand up to proposals to change those rights. And you understand, in, across the world, you didn't have those kind of rights written in stone. You really didn't. They have this wishy-washy thing from Britain. They always talk about the, the British Constitution. And, and it's so wishy-washy, it's really non-existent. It's not in one book, for instance, or one set of books even. It's just, it's just a thing they pluck out the air for court cases 
And in every court case, you understand that there's at least two. In the same kind of circumstances of a crime, there's always at least two different sentences. One's to go free, one's to find guilty, depending on who you are. That's how, what courts are set up to do. And that's why they always refer to someone back in the year so-and-so, and they'll use that one, and it's all prearranged by the judge and, and the lawyers and so on. That's what they're going to go for. They never mention the fact there's another one given an opposite verdict, you see, for the exact same crime. And that's how it's done. Well, it's the same with, with the Charter of Rights in Britain. It really doesn't exist as such. It really doesn't. You can look to the United Nations Charter, because they have one too, and it's very much like the Soviet Union. Uh, on paper, it sounds wonderful, but in actuality, like the Soviet Union, it was absolutely tyrannical. And just speaking openly, or, or even loud, you know, to yourself even, if it was overheard, could put you in the gulag or a mental hospital for voicing it, even to yourself, like even in a joke, in fact. And this talk could even go on and on. I'm, I'm not going to even do it. I'm just, I'm just rambling off the top of my head, as I always do, because I don't really prepare so much things to talk about, because... You don't really have to. It's all there for you. It's all around you all the time. And I don't push any particular agendas, except for those who want to think for themselves. Always think for yourself. You're living in an age of the end of individuality. I hope you understand that. And when you look at the different revolutions of the past, as opposed to rebellions, and a distinct difference between the two, you, you had times in the past, the different centuries, where people would rebel against something. Generally, it was a, an extra law tacked on to, to laws which were already burdening the people. It was an extra law. And so they rebelled. They, they would want to keep the same system, but rebel against that, against that one, hoping they'd get it changed. That's what they had rebellions for. That's what it really means, in a sense. But rebellion also it comes out when people can't verbalize what's wrong. And we found that through the 90s and, and through the early, after 2000, you found it too with different global meetings on the global so-called free trade agreements and so on, which were really just for the big corporations and for the offshoring of business and the, the de-manufacturing system that they had in, in the Western countries to be destroyed and getting cheap labor in third world countries. And you did have lots of rallies at that time with youngsters who, again, had been trained. They didn't have the ammunition, the mental ammunition, the, the wisdom to take on such projects because some of them even, and I even mentioned it at the time, uh, they'd protest these world meetings uh, against globalism, as they called it. Globalism is a much bigger thing than, than just a little tiny word. There's a complete new way of living for the planet with new masters, you see, at least, more, at least visibly new masters, and new ways of living. And again, thought control, of course, comes into it. If you can merge the whole world into one system of control by one group. And you don't necessarily even need a, a particular building, as a, a one building to run the world, like a parliament. You can have a, a multitude of them, and they do have a multitude of them across the planet, under the United Nations as an example. But the, but the folk who were holding all the big massive demonstrations at the time, they couldn't even verbalize what was all the things that were wrong with it, except that it would be bad for the home countries, which was very true. And it would be terrible for the third world countries that they were using so much cheap labor. Uh, to manufacture all different products in this commercialized system that we were in. That's all happened now, but you won't see them out protesting these massive meetings. Uh, uh, these huge, and there are massive meetings that they have for, for world organizations, including the World Economic Forum today, for instance. It doesn't happen so much. They've been given new things to protest, but what you're seeing is, is what people have seen in different ages when things got so bad that they couldn't verbalize what was wrong. They really couldn't. It's a multitude of things which generally are wrong. It's that the 20th century came along and it was an incredible century, especially the first half of it, for, for incredible slaughter across the world because technology had advanced so much that they could kill millions very quickly on the battlefields or, or even in cities. 
it was just one war after another. And the, the, the triumphing, as, as he said, of again, socialism or socialistic policies. The Soviet Union, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, you also had Germany, which is National Socialism. And you had in Britain, you had uh, the George Bernard Shaw and the Fabian Society, again, the left hand of the same group of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, for the who don't know that, <laughs> most folk don't know, they run both all sides of things. It's like Quigley said about the CFR, the American branch, he said, we, we, can, we have communists, we have, we have fascists, we have everybody working together, we don't mind who they are, but, but as long as they all go along with the same ag- big agenda, you see, and they all do. But most folk are oblivious to it, they get caught up in emotive topics, they're churned out for them to, to get fall into, and they start arguing with each other so easily and quickly because, again, they don't understand the bigger picture. Rebellion comes to mind, as I say, because people rebel during the, the, the big shifts of society by those who rule you. The big shifts of society. The, the big shift happened in, in Europe with the Industrial Revolution. And folk literally were forced off the land into the, these new red brick, awful, overcrowded uh, work cities uh, where their life expectancy was incredibly short. Uh, they were kept on starvation wages, literally. And that was your laissez-faire uh, uh, capitalism at the time. Life was cheap, and everybody accepted that because just like we're getting taught now, your life is cheap if you're at the bottom and you're nobody, your life's going to be awfully cheap. <laughs> And that's what happened. So the, the people then eventually started up their unions and so on to protest and fight back in it. And so you had a shift again, a shift, which gave a formulaic thought pattern and coherence to what was wrong with them. It was done for them by others, this, this whole coherence project to give them, a, so, they could, so they could actually discuss it through communication themselves, given topics and headlines for topics, etc., etc., and names for problems, actual names that were given it, so they can communicate. That's why George Orwell said that in 1984, that they keep, they keep taking away the, the terminology from you until eventually the dictionary would be so thin that no one could communicate rebellion or revolution, you see. And that's where we're going today, of course, naturally, as they make certain words bad, 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 and, and they do it all the time, mind you. And you don't even realize that you're getting trained in a Pavlovian style. Works very well, because we have been studied so much. But rebellion, pure rebellion, is, is, is like putting your fist through a, a plaster wall of total frustration because you can't verbalize something. And that's where rebellions are generally put down by the authorities because they're not cohesive, they can't get enough followers, and they can't communicate everything that's wrong. They know what it, they feel it more than they can, they can verbalize it. Revolutions happen because people who are generally intellectuals get together and formulate what it is they're doing <laughs> and create the terminology to be used to give coherence to, to the emotions that they feel, the things they feel and to explain what they feel and what's causing things and then explaining resolutions to fix it all, you see, or try to fix it. That's, what, that's the difference. So uh, re- literally you saw a revolution. There's been re- many revolutions. Most revolutions are bloodless and they're cultural. And the whole 20th century really was under another culture attack they didn't even know about right up to the present time and fight into the 21st century to totally alter the culture. That's another type of, of attack by mainly, again, academia, professionals, and so on, and huge think tanks. But today, you, you can see with so many folk join all kinds of groups, you're back to the same stage of pre-rebellion, where they, they, everything's just wrong, and they can't verbalize what's wrong. Because you understand they're constantly being taught that they, they, they've got everything they want, or everything they need is there, and they do enjoy lots of it. There's, you couldn't get the old type communist rebellion, for instance, in an age where people on welfare can have large televisions. Uh, they're all homeless. If they want to stay in homes, they can be supplied and uh, give, give medical care and lots of entertainment, for instance. And the West would say it's inhumane to deny it to them. But they're in a system where the people still feel that rebellious. 
And they're rebellious because all that was that they give meaning to society has been destroyed. That's why. That's what they're feeling now. And this is not off the top of my head either. I mean, th- th- there are lots of think tanks that talk, try to manage this stage that they, they knew they'd bring society into. And they've got it so worked out so perfectly from, you know, 18-year-olds to 20 to, to 30 to 40 to 50. It's slightly different for each category. The older folk eventually start dying off, so they don't really care so much about them once you're past a certain stage. They're constantly working hard on the young people because they feel the rebellion more, and they're more up to, to just follow and do something through lack of experience and wisdom. But the thing is, too, as I say, you're managed every stage, including this nihilistic phase that we're into, this, this alienated, and Marx did it, talked about it, too. There's all kinds of forms of alienation, alienation because of money or economy, you know, uh, material goods and so on. But there's also alienation uh, by being in big cities, where they, they admit, you know, a, a big city has more mental illness in it. Just like throwing rats in a cage, they're fine up to a certain number. Then all kinds of deviancies just break out and lead each other and kill each other and so on. That happens in nature. But they want you all crowded into a city for the whole agenda for the 21st century, the whole century, remember, with different, split up into segments every 15 years or so for the next part, the next part, the next part that they have to accomplish. But it's still a whole century of change. This is the century of transition, the century of change. Everything has to get changed. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, this is the biggest problem they have at the moment. And, and they don't really see it as a problem yet, because the youngsters, and well, not, not even youngsters up to the age of 40 now, really, I've got so much entertainment and so much to distract them. And so even though they feel uneasy, there's something, there's a big hole in their lives. Even with all the fake friends they can get and, and internets and folk they'll never meet or see or even know if they're real, because the sock puppets run a lot of the stuff too. But something's massively missing. And of course, what's missing is they don't have real lasting relationships. Because that was, that's anathema. A, a lasting relationship could end up in a family. And a family is like a small tribe. And a small tribe is, can often link up in a nation with other small tribes of people, families, like they used to. And, and governments were always afraid of them. H.G. Wells talked about, so eventually if they could destroy the family unit, then government could dictate straight down to you personally, and there'd be nobody to stand around you to help you or defend you. Stop thinking you're being freed as you take away all the, all the, the old system that kept you all cohesive and together. <laughs> really, what you're seeing and what you have seen is your whole defense mechanism being stripped and, and destroyed and replaced with, a, it's like ersatz, coffee. It's not real stuff at all. You've got all these fake stuffs to replace things which are very, very necessary and very real. That's what I'm getting at. So you can always get through to people in every generation, a few here and there, everywhere, in every generation. But most, well, unfortunately, go for the, the fantastic, that which really... Uh, um, it's more entertainment to them. If you notice now, you find most, most what they used to call Patriot Radio, for instance, is, is all is entertainment, really, with the same tactics as shock jocks and stuff like that, and the music, boom, 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 and, and all that kind of stuff. It's all professionally done. You have to remember that everything that was real was to be destroyed and, and, and a substitute put in there. And getting back to what I said before in the 90s, people used to look at America and, and, and really... They'd hear a little bit, little clips that would come across their TVs in different countries and, or newspapers or whatever, or even in radios, where folk would talk about how they just just stopped the government from taking this from them or that from them or whatever it was, because and they'd mention their rights. They knew their rights. And the rest of the world sat there thinking that was amazing that they had that kind of rights to actually stop things from happening to them personally. That was just astonishing. And you understand, 9-11 was the big marker for change, to, to change a whole lot of things. They've been sitting waiting in the wings to go. And it's happened. And I gave talks too, saying that Americans could literally, like any country, still be taught to, to have the, the same little slogans and repeat the same little things to honor their, their country or their flag or whatever. And without realizing that everything else that made the country what it is, it has turned 180 degrees and facing the opposite direction. You know, it's so well run, you see. It's an awful shame what's been lost. Terrible shame, actually. Terrible, terrible shame. Because the, the ordinary folk in the U.S. that would travel, you meet them in the world, and just ordinary people, 
were so open and confident compared to what you saw in, uh, around Europe, for instance. But very open and decent people. And a lot of them were actually giving you a, 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 an image of a society that you had and lost. It's gone. Because Britain came out of World War II as a socialist country. They went off to fight national socialism in Germany and then came out as a socialist country. Which is far more efficient for those who rule because they just dictate to you and you've got no choice to go along with it. That's how it works. And you lose all your rights in the process. So remember, as I say, it's so sad to see what's been lost. And uh, even though the rhetoric goes on by, again, fronts that are put out there, but that it's really been lost. The 90s version of it, uh, for folk who, who well, they wanted America to come out of all the wars and come back home and start spending the money at home rather than, than across the whole planet. That's all been, that's completely gone now, completely gone. And the saddest thing is that the folk who knew are dying off <laughs> and the younger folk are still following what they think is the same rhetoric. It's not, it's a completely different rhetoric now. Completely different. And they knew that, that and, and they saw, always know that politics is something you watch like a hawk. You didn't trust politics. You expected politicians to be liars and yet they hold their feet to the fire. But you didn't have this nothing but very, very thinly veiled propaganda outlets for, for, for politics and politicians as you have today. Sad. It's very sad. Well, I want to just prattle off a few articles here before this is already over, because I didn't intend as usual to go off on this even tangent. I was even, I, I seldom think I'm going to talk about, I just, this comes to me as, as, as a start. Now, across the world, uh, national health services in different countries are being hammered. And they hammer for a long time, 30 years or more, in fact, because they, they started bringing in, under different free trade and, and free movement of people's agreements from years and years ago, they start to treat people from across the world in your national health services. Well, the national health service is funded by the national taxpayer and not from people from outside countries. But that had nothing, that didn't change anything. For coming from all over Europe, for instance, and the world, coming through Europe to get to Britain to get uh, health care and so on. And uh, it's all wonderful and well, but the fact is, it's never mentioned anymore. It used to be mentioned all the time, because they had very good, accurate statistics of, of people coming in, and it was costing billions to pay, <laughs> literally, uh, over many years by a taxpayer. And they get nothing back for it at all. Meanwhile, we're all getting trained, of course. Our life is only worth X amount, because you're, you're in a global system, right? You're going to get more and more of these stories. The National Health Service trusts are handing over more than £205 million in Britain a year to the government in interest payments after being forced to take out loans. It says here, two articles, I won't go into it in much detail, but you'll see more and more of them because this is a time now to push for a new system that there are people who own, own the medical systems in America, like, like massive corporations across the country in the, in the U.S. that they're also coming into uh, all the other countries that have been for years, too, to take over. Because everything now is monopolization and, and anything that works and, and can make a massive profit to them, they want to be in charge of. And you, you often find a lot of the big governmental systems in the States are owned as well by big pharma companies and so on. So it's, it's a one big happy profit-making machine, in fact. But uh, at the expense of us, you see, we'll pay for it. And I, I don't think people understand, and I've mentioned it before, that we've all signed on under the United Nations to universal health care. Universal is for the world. So we're paying for health care across the planet in different, uh, different agreements that are not quite so covert as it used to be. So I'll put these two articles up, and there'll be more coming out shortly. You'll see in your newspapers. As countries are to say, well, well, I just have to take a, a, new, a new spin on things, a new, a new take on things, and do things differently, you see. And it's all part of, again, of, of getting you used to the idea that you're only worth X amount of dollars a year in treatment. 
and devalue your life and have you accept it all. And, and you will. You'll all come to it. Oh, well, you know. And they'll always give you stories where you'll say, oh, yeah, they, they, they euthanize so-and-so. Well, what else could they do, you know? And you don't realize you're actually committing, you're actually passing a sentence on yourself for the future. You, they're training you, the victim, to accept it. And you'll be cheering you on. Isn't it astonishing the psychology is so perfect now in the behavioral modification? So, as I say, I'll put these up, but uh, the, the Britain is an example. I think Australia's going through the same kind of thing. And people come from all over the world for treatment and they pay nothing. It's, naturally, you know what's going to happen there. It's like inviting the planet into your kitchen every day. You feed them. I mean, eventually you're broke, right? Of course, it's common sense. It's all intentional. But again, it's a motive thing and it has a big agenda and a purpose. And the purpose is really to modify you to accept that, well, you know, life, I mean, life, I guess our life, my life isn't worth that much, really, you know. You know, there you go. That's how it works. And this article, too, is to do again with the West and Europe, but it says the end of marriage, proportion of women who are hitched dips below 50% in England and Wales while the single population soars. It's almost a rah-rah happy, happy thing put out because, um, again, statistics are... They actually have courses uh, on, on statistics for university students who go into that field and show them how to manipulate all the... <laughs> it's all psychology, again, manipulate. I mean, if you got... You could use two people for your for your survey, right? And say, well, 50% said this and 50% said that, you know? And that, that's really how you do things. It's, it's manipulation and deceptions. But anyway... It's probably getting up to pretty well close to truth what it is because they don't want people to, to marry. They don't want children. And there's organizations that actually come out and say that from other groups outside the country that really is a form of warfare, obviously. That there, but there's different reasons from different levels of society and different groups involved in it. But at the very, very top of the world, yeah, there's too many of you. That's your problem. It's never changed from, and the World Socialist Society came out with this stuff way back in the early 1900s. What they would do, George Bernard Shaw said it too, you know. And there's no function for you, and don't forget in the communist countries, that, that, that supposedly no one was unemployed. If you were unemployed, you wouldn't be getting welfare or anything like that, so you didn't have them. And so that was socialism, and Bernard Shaw said the same thing, you'd have to come to us and really tell us why we should keep you alive. In other words, you've got a certain value. All the stuff we're seeing today was, was talked about a long time ago. And the value of your life, your life versus them, or what are you going to spend on you, etc., etc., etc. Now, in a society that's post-industrial, uh, you can imagine how many of you are going to be able to validate why they should keep you alive if you went by that argument, you see, if you fall for it. Also, an article is just a bit of interest. The media blacks out Roger Waters' performance in defense of Julian Assange. And it says Roger Waters and John Pilger staged a powerful event in defense of imprisoned WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange outside the British Home Office in central London. Waters delivered a moving rendition of Pink Floyd's iconic song, Wish You Were Here. Dedicated to Assange, while Pilger issued a scathing denunciation of the British government's attempts to facilitate his extradition to the U.S., where the WikiLeaks founder faces life imprisonment for exposing war crimes. It's, it's astonishing how... To, don't, I've often said it, that the, the, the people, the mass of the public, are too easily manipulated. They could be all for somebody initially and say, yeah, that's terrible, we won't, but all, all the stuff that was released about what, how you get spied on and everything else you can spied on, and how you, how you even get trained to accept it all. <laughs> Uh, but eventually, you, 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 the person who might, might stand up for you, you'll turn against them if they don't fix it all for you by themselves. And as you sit back and watch it, you know, you, you, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the story you always have to remember, folks. Always remember that. Regardless of the real, uh, any real other reasons that Assange came out with things. But the fact is, he did certainly give out a video that was sent to him of the, the helicopter gunships gunning down reporters in another country and laughing about it like it was some kind of game as he slaughtered them. But that should be shown to the world, folks. I don't care what, what side you think you're on. Really. And, uh, of course, uh, inside the U.S., the, the, they'll never forgive them, the elite system that runs them, for leaking that out to the, to the world. Never, never forgive them. 
because we've got more wars to fight. Now, maybe just touch on that as things go along. Uh, but uh, it's interesting, Roger Waters has made a career <laughs> after Pink Floyd of obviously going out and, and saying what he thinks. And I think, well, good luck to him, whether you agree with him or not, it makes no difference. You need individuals that will go out and who, who are not really funded by outside groups, but have at least a name they can use to, to say what they want to say. Because everyone else is losing what they want to say. You are losing it so fast. In fact, it's, most of it's gone already, you know that. Also, a father with ALS, I mentioned that, this guy before, I think, was euthanized after denied sufficient care in Canada. You see, euthanasia is not to help you. That's how they always give you the, 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 the weeping story. Oh, it's so terrible. And, oh, I wouldn't want to go on with that. The whole point of it is eventually to categorize you and to, to, to expense to society, cost, value to society, and then have you euthanize folks. I, I've said that before. That was always the plan of where it would go. So anyway, he, he didn't want to die right now. He wanted to be cared for at home so he could be with his son. But the government's uh, socialized healthcare system refused to pay for all the care he needed, but it sure paid to kill him by euthanasia. Relocation was not an option, as that would have taken him away from his son, of whom he had uh, partial custody. He was in a constant struggle as, uh, and a source of stress for Sean as a patient, it says. And the few options on hand that he was given, Sean pointed out, would have offered vastly inferior care while separating him from his family and likely would have hastened his death. You, you have no idea what we'll spend on things which not long ago would have seemed absolutely insane and totally absurd. But people who need uh, are desperate, life and death struggle, are being euthanized here now. And it's going to escalate and escalate. They've had articles in, in uh, some, some of the provinces in Canada already where the, it's already on this path. They just, they're scheduling you for euthanasia. And, and they have professional teams to come in who are trained to come in and persuade you. I'll do the right thing. You don't really want to go through blah, blah, blah. And, you know? and they get paid to do that. Big money. Instead of just treating you, hmm? which a lot of the, the, the conditions they can certainly treat. There's nothing wrong with this guy's mind. So I'll put one or two or three articles out. And then another one, again, two. Also, he's a disabled 41-year-old man, euthanized, after funding for home health care runs out. There you go. He spent years trying to find 24-hour care, he said. They used to have facilities for these things, but they've cut back and cut back and cut back. And uh, as I say, I won't even go into where the money's all going now. Sad, isn't it? Sad. And then as you read that too and, and you you think about it, I've mentioned before how they would get you off and dehumanize you right down to necrophilia and all kinds of disgusting behaviors because it's all been published by a lot of the folk who helped to design your culture. But he's at, again, I said they would even get you eating things you shouldn't be eating. And, and of course, there were a few articles about cannibalism. Academia considers cannibalism, and they make it a kind of light-hearted spin to an extent. But you're see more and more of it, uh, of, of how they're pushing this, this nonsense, you see. Of, and you will find uh, the, the weirdos in society who, who will be the first, to, the, the same ones who'd rush to have their faces tattooed because they saw it on television. Or, you know, that you get somebody who wants to be noticed and get their five minutes of fame. It's so sad. Uh, by eating people, that'll happen. Now that they're pouring you uh, and it's fertilizer in your fields. It's a, it's a small but dedicated cannibal lobby working to reclaim it from psychopathic penis-devouring killers, it says, and uh, Liberian warlords, despite some odd uh, clickbait headlines, positive coverage of cannibalism in the media is all but non-existent. But then he goes into academics who are, are unconstrained by nasty social constructs, like you know that terrible thing called morality, eh? morality and ethics, and not eating your grandmother. And far away from the real world, professors steeped in postmodernism, a doctrine that reigns supreme in social science departments and rejects notions of objective reality. Nothing's really real, you see, it's all kind of relative and it's all subjective. And so they've been uh, suggesting that we embrace our inner beast and break the taboo. There you go. So I'll put this one up too. And uh, maybe you'll start getting um, curi and things like that by doing so. Like the cannibals who end up still getting in some of the islands. One or two articles on that. And 
this incredible 5G and smart city thing that none of us got to vote on, folks, as we get our whole lives are turned upside down. Anything that matters in so-called this pretense of democracy, you're never given a vote on. Never, ever. Never, in fact, never mind given the facts or the truth on. <laughs> anyway, this is a report, poor scorn over Google's ideas for Toronto smart cities. Well, did they ever ask the people? Hmm? And it's where all your spy systems involved in it too, naturally. Controversial smart city development Canada has hit another roadblock after an oversight panel called Key Aspects of the Proposal Irrelevant, Unnecessary and Frustratingly Abstract in a new report, it says. And even the report is rather vague as well. But the fact is, it was supposed to be people-friendly and for the people, but it's got nothing to do really with the people at all. And that's what it all seems to be about. But they'll get what they want because they've, they've got these smart cities going up everywhere and you had no, no say in any of it. And you never will because you don't really have rights as you seem to, or perhaps think you still have. Edward Snowden, again, another guy who folk initially would, would yeah, rah, 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 for releasing. As all your rights are getting taken away. The few folk that mentioned it were getting put in jail or had to flee the country. But meanwhile, now they're just, oh, well, you know, they're, they're traitors. No, no, who's, who's teaching this stuff? The folk who are traitors are the ones who took your rights from you, folks, according to the laws of your countries. So Edward Snowden prepares to release memoirs saying the U.S. intelligence community hacked the Constitution of the United States. And the 18 years since 9-11 have been a litany of American destruction. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And he was, he was raised with a family who were almost intergenerational uh, workers for the government or military. And he went through, he said, he did the same, the same usual things you had. So he's had death in the family when you start to realize that everything you've been taught and trained here is a lie. He went through that too. And he mentions that. And he's got a book, I think, coming out to tell you what happened to him as he saw what was really happening in, in the system. He says, what is real is, is being purposely conflated with what is fake for technologies that are capable of scaling that uh, conflation into unprecedented global confusion, he says. His book follows his evolution from childhood, growing up in the 1980s, North Carolina and suburban Washington. His mum worked at the NSA as a clerk and his father served in the Coast Guard. And when he, he said eventually, he, when he realised what was happening... With the NSA sort of idea and what they're up to, really, it, it just blew him away to realize it had nothing to do with what his opinion of America was and what his rights were and so on. But he said the intelligence community hacked the Constitution, and uh, it's not a bad article, I'll put that up too for those who want to. Also, I've said when <laughs> Iran is on the list to be taken out, you know that, right? It has always been since the 90s on the list, at least on, from the 90s. It says this one here, and from Reuters, Instant Review Reactions to Attack on Saudi Oil Facilities. It's on World News and Reuters. Talking about the, 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 the two refineries that, that supposedly were hit in a strike by drones. These are probably small drones of some kind. And of course, immediately uh, Pompeo goes on the attack saying Iran is behind the attack on Saudi oil facilities claimed by Houthi rebels. So the Houthi rebels supposedly are the ones who supposedly have done it, but we don't even know if that's true, right? They're attached or they're even friendly with uh, Iran, they're actually going to blame Iran. So that one way or another, all roads lead to Iran, right? <laughs> that's the just agenda here. So I'll put this article up for anybody who wants to. As it, as it war drums are beating and beating and beating. And they'll say, my God, Trump's been so restrained for so long in Iran, and then they'll whack it. And they might wait till after he's re-elected, actually, because it takes a lot of logistical studies for how long it's going to take and all the equipment and stuff and preparation goes into it for a prolonged war. So they'll do all that first. So they might wait until until he's re-elected because that's what they really want him against, get him back in again. It doesn't matter who you get in, folks. They all work for the same masters. They really do. Come on. Come on. And then inside Saudi Aramco's oil operations, these facilities, these refineries were owned by Aramco. And it tells you quite a lot about them um, for anybody, again, who's interested in that. But that's just how it is. Anyway, I think that's the time up already. So 
remember folks you can buy the books and discs and, and, or donate to me at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and look at all the other sites I have these are the official sites listed on the .com website and you find it how to send me a few bucks and keep me going or get books and discs from the site and I hope you're all doing okay maybe you're like me too and you're starting to wonder how is it time flying in like that it really is flying isn't it flying like crazy it's astonishing how the days are just and then weeks just go by now so so like a speed train I don't don't know if just me but if other folk emailing me the same kind of things that's happening to them I'm just wondering what's going on I'm sure there could be lots of shows just talking about that in itself but anyway from myself Alan Watt from Ontario Canada it's good night to me your God or your gods go with you